We've gotten to know each other pretty well over these last few months. And maybe, maybe we're getting a little tired of each other, huh? Tired of seeing the faces in this courtroom instead of the faces of our families and friends. Tired of having to listen to descriptions of degradation, torture, and murder. We want it to end, don't we? Wipe the slate clean. We just want to run out. We want to get out. I mean, isn't that what we really feel? We want to get out. We want to breathe clean air. We want to see the blue sky. We just want to feel decent again. Welcome to part two of our Ricochet episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on their exclusive patron feed, and we let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. So, New Year, Alex. Same perks, and then some. Uh, if you join the Contrarian Supplements at the lowest tier, at the dollar tier, the Travoltis, you instantly get access to the chat, where I try to send pictures of uh, stuff that's relevant to what's going on in our podcasting lives so i sent a picture of uh, the the files as i was editing something the other day and i felt like i was communicating with our audience in a very special way <laughs> <laughs> um, you also get access to our cutting room floor segments just all the stuff that doesn't make it into the episode alex just went into a wrestling rant about jesse ventura Contrarian's corner. He knew being as, smarter than vince mcmahon yes halfway through he knew that that wasn't gonna make it to the main episode <laughs> he just went I know this is just going on the patron, and, and I just <laughs> nodded. I was like, yeah, we've been doing this for a while. We know how it works. <laughs> but you can listen to it if you join the Contrarian Supplement on the, on the Cutting Room Floor segments. Uh, and then, of course, you get access to our bonus episodes. Every month, we put out at least one uh, bonus episode that's just for the patrons. This month, Alex, this is entirely on your shoulders. Uh, our bonus episode, as demanded by patron Ben Murray from Buster's Ben, is uh, the movie The Beach Bum. Ah, uh, Harmony Kareen. Harmony Kareen coming into the Contrarians finally after being referenced time and again. I want to say just, you can trace a straight line to when you talked about Trash Humpers on the <laughs> one of the after hours. I think that that got uh, the wheels turning in Ben's head. And now I guess we're watching The Beach Bum and we're going to be talking about it on our Patreon channel. So uh, you have access to that and also to all the other bonus episodes that we've done in the past three years of patron stuff that we've been doing. Uh, now, if you want more, you get more. It just up your contribution. Go up to the $3 tier, the Winonis, and then you get access to our pre-recording notes. You get access to our quick video reviews. This month, Alex, we're going back to individual quick video reviews. So you have been assigned the movie Everybody Wants Some from Richard Linklater. Oh, okay. I think it's sort of a spiritual sequel to uh, Days Unconfused. I think I heard yeah. somebody mention it uh, or reference it that way. And that's assigned to you by John Amenta, who gave us a dual QVR last month. And he's assigned me the movie The Frighteners. That's a Peter Jackson horror comedy. Is that Michael J. Fox? Yeah, Michael J. Fox. Yeah. I have vague, vague memories of seeing at least part of it uh, when I was much younger and just being 
put off by the idea that Michael J. Fox was not Marty McFly. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes this time. But everybody wants some for you. The Frighteners for me. Only on our Patreon channel. Uh, starting on the $3 tier. And then, of course, you also have access to Contrarians After Hours. Spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we're watching or that we're reading, listening to, thinking about. Uh, Alex, we just decided that we are going to do another one of those After Hours where we tackle a single movie that we both decided to watch. Uh, Excellent. Please do the honor. So what are we talking about in this Contrarians After Hours? We will be discussing the 2023 Alexander Payne holiday season offering, The Holdovers, uh, now here in the States, uh, just was made available on uh, Peacock. I wanted to go see it in the theater, just didn't get a chance to, but I uh, watched it yesterday with my, my mom and my sister. Uh, we both greatly enjoyed it, and uh, I have many thoughts on it, so looking forward to discussing it. And I take it you have yet to watch it, or have you seen it already? It's it's on the queue. It's next okay. on my list, so I'll I'll have it done by the time that we record. I mean, I better do, otherwise it's just gonna be you telling me about it. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I think that Paul Giamatti might be a good actor, man. Well, Giamatti, yeah, that's that's not up for discussion. But I am I'm curious if this kid that they have playing opposite him, if he if he can race to the challenge, or or if he's just gonna get mauled by Jamadi in the acting department the way that I see gets mauled by Denzel Washington and Ricochet. I guess I'll find out <laughs> soon enough. Fair enough. Uh, so that's all Contrarians After Hours. Just the holdovers. The, according to Alex Mattis on his Twitter, a new Christmas movie to add to the rotation. That's, that's right. That's what I saw. That's what made me want to watch it more than the trailer. And then if you want to be part of those patrons that decide our fate somebody like ben making us watch the beach bum well that's what the five dollar tier and the ten dollar tier are for the embrace and the gads just go to patreon.com slash prime look at what we have to offer and decide which level you want to uh join for the contrarian supplements one dollar three dollar five dollars and ten dollars julio just ran down you know what comes with each of them but uh, one dollar will get you on the ground floor you'll have access to uh, our bonus episodes uh, dating all the way back to uh, our first patron post, which was our episode on Blue is the Warmest Color. But more importantly, our mega series on The Rock versus John Cena, our Lindsay Lohan career and life retrospective. And as I have mentioned, uh, our current patron goals that are out there once we cross 30 patrons. And this is at any denomination. This is at any level of patronage. You know, this, this can just count at the $1 tier. Once we cross 30 patrons, uh, we'll be doing a seven-part series on the attempts of pornographic actors to cross over into the uh, world of mainstream acting. Once we cross 40 patrons, Hula and I will be providing commentary tracks for each of the Friday the 13th films. And eventually, when we get to 50, we know it's a lofty goal, but once we get there, um, it'll be like a year-long project, but we'll tackle the entire Saturday Night Live film catalog. So those are just kind of you know hanging out there in the ether if you know as Hulu likes to say if you're on the fence and uh, looking for a time or a reason to you know throw us a buck now would definitely uh, be that time and uh, for those of you who are already patrons God knows we love y'all just uh, hang tight these uh, future projects are on the horizon for y'all um, so that is our pitch for our patron if you have any questions hit us up on Twitter or our email address or Instagram or Facebook or anywhere you can find us Comment on this post. Be like, yo, Goober, what's the deal? And uh, 
we'll get back to you. But that covers our patron, Julio. Once again, thank you to all of our wonderful patrons. And now I believe it's time to uh, move along. Can I, I, the entire time I'm thinking, okay, what's what's a fun line that is appropriate to quote? <laughs> Take us to real talk. Sadly, put my tit in the ringer. It's already we already referenced that. <laughs> How about when uh, John Lithgow says the guard that's taking him to his parole hearing says, "Well, I hope you flossed," and he says, "I did." With your wife's pubic hair. So mean when he tells the guy on the parole board he's going to have sex with his wife, his daughter, and maybe even his dog. It's like, Jesus, man. Steven DeSouza unleashed. He's a bad guy. Uh, on that front, originally the screenplay to Ricochet by Fred Decker was written as a dirty, hairy film, but Clint Eastwood deemed it too grim. <laughs> too much for Eastwood. <laughs> when the script was attached to Joel Silver as producer in a different direction, Decker met uh, Kurt Russell about starring while Decker was set to direct, which they were never able to reach a pre-production stage. Reportedly, violent scenes in the film were heavily cut down following test screenings. And this is a violent fucking movie. According to an interview with director Russell Mulcahy in one of the scenes that was cut, Blake abuses Styles to the point where Styles vomits, and Blake has to clean him up with a sponge. Oh, that's sweet. This is why Styles has vomit on him when he's found in the streets. There's an uncut version of this film that's never been released, so Criterion, get on it. The next Denzel box set. And before I throw it to you, Julio, for the negative reviews and to begin our thoughts, I think this is uh, one. I had no idea this came out just a, about a month before Cape Fear, as the premises are shockingly similar. Oh, you're right. More importantly, Gene Sisko and Roger Ebert both gave this film a thumbs up. It got the, the hallowed two thumbs up uh, on At The Movies, describing it as ridiculous, goofy, embarrassing, unsavory, and distasteful, but also stylish, ambitious, and having some smart dialogue. Man, I don't know about that last one. <laughs> Please, Roger, quote me a line that's smart in this movie. It doesn't mean that it has to be a bad movie if it doesn't have smart dialogue, but I don't know. All right, Julio, who didn't like it? Why didn't they like it? All right. Uh, like I said, not not a whole lot of reviews to begin with. And then this movie being fresh, that means that there were only very, very few rotten ones. Uh, so we're going to do three rotten quotes. And then the fourth quote is from our Threads account. I guess. Speaking of John Amenta, we just mentioned on the, during the patron pitch, he posted something that made me laugh. Uh, all right, so we're going to start with uh, Dennis Schwartz from Dennis Schwartz Movie Reviews, who says, an absurd urban thriller with no street cred. No street cred, Alex. Is, is he just completely iced dismissing Ice-T and his voice? <laughs> Shameful. I'm all street cred, motherfucker. Odessa! <laughs> Man, he almost... Was it the idea that we're supposed to think that he's that he might not make it, Odessa? That he's about to sacrifice himself? It looked like it looked like there was a chance, right? Just gonna be like a, like Doc Brown at the end of Back to the Future, just putting the two cables <laughs> together. And... <laughs> um, all right, next, Chris Hicks from Desert News, Salt Lake City says, "Every now and then, a movie comes along that is so preposterous, so devoid of any reality or logic, you have to wonder how it got made." How did this get made, Alex? Could it have been 
Denzel Washington's Oscar win. Because they took chances on just dumb big movies back in the day. But yeah, I mean, he was still fresh in the minds of the movie going public and, you know, the the uh, film industry at large, I guess you'd say, for winning his Oscar just a few years before. I love the idea that this was supposed to be a Dirty Harry movie, though. <laughs> Clint Eastwood was just like, I don't like it. <laughs> Clint Eastwood tied to the bed. Clint Eastwood and Ice T going back and forth. <laughs> this uh... Uh, next, Janet Maslin from the New York Times says the screenplay by Stephen E. D'Souza contains many glib, obscene wisecracks, plus the misinformation that Anna Karenina was Tolstoy's first book. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I, I just love that. Do you know what? Remember when movie critics didn't just know about movies, but they also knew about literature so they could spot that kind of problem <laughs> in a movie? Yep. Uh-uh. Anna Karina was his second book. <laughs> Whatever book, I don't know. And we're going to close, as promised, <laughs> with something that John from The Pint posted that made me laugh. Because I posted on threads, uh, said, Laundry still has a ways to go, so I'm going to start 2024 by watching the next movie we're covering. Anyone has seen Ricochet before? And John replied, Weaponized Gonorrhea. And I thought, because I hadn't seen the movie, I thought he was just saying that the movie was shit, right? He was like, oh, that movie is weaponized gonorrhea. Having seen the movie now, I don't know if he likes it or or, or if he hates it. <laughs> he was yeah. just referencing a plot point. So, John, let us know. Fan of Ricochet or just scarred by the experience of having watched it? I'm curious. But those are the quotes, Alex. I think, as you alluded to at the end of Contrarian's Corner, longtime listeners and uh, and people that just know you, that's I like to think I do, probably have an idea how you felt watching this movie. I certainly, if you tell me that you didn't like Ricochet, it would surprise me. I mean, I'm sure that you would have your reasons that you would explain them to me, and I'd be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But, but on the surface, I was like, this is one of those ridiculous movies from the 90s, like an action movie that has big names and has big stunts. And it's just outrageous in the same way that your beloved pro wrestling is outrageous. <laughs> so I mean, like it, it, I, kinda, I it ticks a lot of boxes. <laughs> it was a loud year, to be fair, honestly, 91. That's the first thing I kind of want to start with it. You know, Terminator 2, obviously, Silence of the Lambs. Uh, Thumb and Louise, Fisher King, Hook, Backdraft, like um, Cape Fear, we already mentioned also, but like, you know what I mean when I say big, like it was a big year of like mm -hmm. big, loud, because even as um, JFK came out that year too, I mean, that's a, it's a big movie, you know, Silence of the Lambs, you think of how big Anthony Hopkins is in that, so it's, I, I can see, and the Fisher King, as which I really enjoy, but mm -hmm. like, you want the Robin Williams? There's a capital B, four spaces, a capital I, and five spaces, and then a G. <laughs> yeah, but like, that's um, usually how Robin Williams is. Well, that's what I'm saying. Even for Robin Williams, it's and it's good too. What I'm saying, I'm saying this in a good way. But I can see where the climate was. Also, when was Tango and Cash? I feel like Tango and Cash was around this point in time. And please do not confuse that anyone with me saying Tango and Cash is on par with those movies because Julio and I were both not too crazy about it. 
89. So I could see by the time it's 91 and with the movies I just listed that kind of dominated award seasons and whatnot, how the temperature was so high that a movie like Ricochet could literally fall through the cracks. It's described as having a modest box office uh, and <laughs> a movie I had never heard of. And then when I read it, I was like, good God. And that's part of the fun with the insanity of the 90s, specifically early 90s filmmaking, late 80s too can be uh, grouped in there of these big dumb movies that would be made with bona fide A-listers. And, uh, yeah, this is a great example of that. There's obviously some problematic things that should have been prickly then and are even, you know, more prickly now. Uh, but man, what a hoot. I watched this movie and when the movie, the credits play with Ice-T singing a, a title track, I was like, God damn, it used to be better. That's just like <laughs> what I was thinking watching this. <laughs> Because to go to Anthony Mackie's thing from whatever that was when he got that shit at Comic-Con, like, this movie would not be made today. And here comes Julio. Yeah, but I'll just go to streaming. Go fuck yourself. It it's- would. <laughs> don't don't shoot the messenger, Alex. It's, it's really... Well, no, 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 I, well, okay, I'm sorry. A movie of this plot? Yes. But, like, no one would make a movie with this many, like, stars in it with this stupid of a plot you know what i mean especially like an oscar winner coming off as oscar win a young promising actor i guess my point is this was very commonplace for the time and i'm going to resist all urge to just go into why movies suck now um but (laughs) i pine for a time when something like this could have been accepted as common and people didn't bat an eye at big dumb movies being made and and more importantly mo- like movies being made for fun so i will say it used to be better the ending of this movie is evidence of that uh <laughs> and now we'll move into the the specifics of ricochet oh well, don't put your uniform back on you took it off for the psychopath keep it off for me i i got so distracted or, or rather so excited by uh John's weaponized gonorrhea comment that I completely forgot that my original plan was to close with Eddie's uh, two letterbox reviews for this movie. Uh, they're pretty short and sweet, so let's do that now. Eddie Strait, the man, the myth, the legend, the patron that demanded Ricochet be put on our main feed. Uh, he gave the movie three stars and said this was back in May 26, 2020. Man, he started the pandemic with this. And he said, it's trashy in a way that reminds me of movies like Wild Things and Running Scared. I don't know how good it is, but I know I had a great time watching it. Loved it. And then, two years later, July 26, 2022, he went back to it. Added the star. Four stars now. I first saw this a couple years ago, and it's lived in my mind like a fever dream. Wasn't sure it would hold up, but it's even better the second time around. This movie is completely unhinged and loose and so much fun. So I think Eddie agrees with you, Alex. I agree with pretty much all that, except I immediately kind of when you compare it to uh, Running Scared, because I think Running Scared is like legitimately outstanding for as trashy and like perverse as it is. That movie fucking rules. But um, here nor there. 
you haven't seen Paul Walker's Running Scared, which I'm assuming is the one he's referencing, not the the earlier one. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, because I know, I know Eddie and I share a love of that film, and obviously Wild Things. I mean, come the fuck on. But uh, <laughs> so I guess that kind of surprises me. I, Eddie and me will sometimes land on really dumb action movies and both be like, "Hell yeah, man!" Uh, so. I, I thought maybe this would be a bit too ridiculous. Uh, yeah, I guess I didn't know where he was coming from when suggesting this, but that that's awesome that he feels that way because he and I would have much to discuss about the, the high points and the ridiculousness of this movie. Fucking Jesse the Body and John Lithgow sword fighting. Um, <laughs> uh, I like I like that he used the word trashy and you've used the word trashy and it's not been as a as a put down on the movie because I was feeling guilty as I was watching it and thinking, man, this is trashy. I I, I think at some point, it's fine though. That's the, the point. Like, r- right. That is the point. And I had to kind of remind myself that that was the point. I, at some point while I was watching it, I actually, I felt the, the word was trash. I was like, Oh man, this is trash. And then, and then I was like, no, it's trashy either way. I was like, but that's not, is it, is there an endearing way of saying that something is trashy? And it is, and and there is, and yes. and you know, Eddie just did it, and you just did it, and I, I know I've done it before. It was just that I w- I was having trouble, and I watched this movie twice, Alex. As I've said before, uh, on previous episodes, when it's a movie that I haven't seen before, and and I have the time, obviously, and especially if it's a movie that somebody we know has asked for you know to be on the show then i, I want to give it like a pretty good shot the so, old college try yeah well i want to watch it first just giving it my full attention and and you know not have to worry about notes and then come back with the notes because sometimes it will happen that i'll start writing notes and if i haven't seen the movie and then like stuff that made sense as a joke in the first half doesn't make sense as a joke in the second half so if i know where i'm going where the story's going it's always a lot easier for me uh and also, it was like Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, and everybody was asleep. I was like, I have nothing to do but like wait for laundry <laughs> to be done, and let's do this. Anyway, I've seen this movie twice now, and so I've had the same experience both times. So I know that it's not, you know, I, I'm pretty confident about how I feel about it. And there's a point where the movie, for lack of a better term, like jumps a shark for me. Which is fine because it's designed to jump the shark. <laughs> like it's like it's supposed to escalate in ridiculousness, and that's where it it, it kind of loses me. But I mean, it might lose me, but I am very aware that that is that is my problem, not the movies, because the movie is it's like it's my fault for not just holding on and going where the movie wants to go. You know, the movie is playing fair with it's a, with the expectations it sets, with the kind of movie it wants to be. I don't think it betrays itself at any point. And even if, you know, if it feels like that, maybe on the first watch, the second time around, like I knew exactly where it was going, <laughs> you know, and I still felt that that moment halfway through the movie. Where I'm like, oh, and you lost me. I mean, I, I might have mentioned it in Contrarian's Corner, you know, it's like when I feel like the movie just abandons reality, which is like around the time that they kidnap Denzel Washington. I think that before they kidnap Denzel Washington, I'm like, this is pretty silly and pretty over the top, but. I felt like everything made sense in the universe of the movie. And then after Denzel gets kidnapped, 
now it's just now we're just fucking around. <laughs> you know, we're gonna pump it full of drugs, and John Lithgow's plan is going to be insane, and there's no way that it would work in real life. But fuck it, it doesn't matter because we would just want to get to the big thing, the next big thing. And and I that's when I have trouble. Just you know, that's when it just irritates me. And I was like, why is Enzel being so dumb? Why is everybody around him being so dumb? You know, and, it's, and the reason is like, oh, because otherwise there wouldn't be a movie. You know, if they believe him. <laughs> The movie doesn't happen, or the rest of the movie doesn't happen. You just let go and have fun, man. Yes, I was trying. I, I definitely tried the second time around, and, and it made me think. I was like, "Did this movie ever had a chance with me? Am I? Is it just that I am too old to have fun with this? You know, I like I missed it. Like, if I watch Ricochet at the right age, do I just enjoy it for the rest of my life? Or even if I had watched it twenty years ago." I still would have yeah, felt I don't like, know. yeah, I don't know either. I get the feeling that I wouldn't have enjoyed it anyway. I think this is a movie that you probably, I don't know. I mean, some movies you enjoy better when you come to them and you're older because you're like, I've seen so much what you're saying, right? Like in the climate <laughs> of today's cinema, you watch something like Ricochet and it feels so refreshing that you just yeah. blitz through whatever flaws it may have because you just you just welcome something like that. So in that sense, it's like, oh, you know, it benefits from from age, <laughs> from from being seen 20 years later. But at the same time, I think that maybe there is something to watching it when you're younger and you haven't seen that many movies. And, you know, you just find it amusing. And it's not that, you know, there's little things. Like, at this point, you're not going to get me excited just by having John Lithgow be a madman, like be crazy. You know what I mean? And that's not, I know that's not fair to the movie. But that's kind of like where I am. You know, it's like I've seen it in other movies being crazy. So uh, I haven't seen him be a gladiator in prison. So, yes, I like that. <laughs> that was cool. <laughs> but but I'm not going to, you know, like I don't walk away from this one thinking, oh, yeah, give John Lithgow the Embry. You know, it's like, OK, is John Lithgow playing a psychopath? I, I, I've i seen it. I get it. I've seen Kevin Pollack play the best friend. I haven't seen him have a ridiculous death like the one he has in this movie. But... Again, when when you do all the balances, it it comes out. It doesn't come out in the positive for me. It doesn't come out in the negative either. In the sense that I didn't end the movie and be like, "God, what are you thinking, Eddie?" You know, we've had movies like that. You know, movies where I I felt compelled to just argue and 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 fight the movie. Here, I, I, it's not that I fought the movie. It's just more that I I watched it speed away from me <laughs> halfway through. Um. Like I said, and it happened both times. You know, I've seen it twice. So the second time, it was the same experience. I was like, this is cool. This is cool. Like, I like Denzel. I like, you know, he's a cocky bastard. And he's he has everything is going well for him. I can't wait for everything to go bad for him. But then when things start going bad, it just I just find it hard to, to buy so much of the stuff that happens. It would be, for me, the movie would be so much fun if he was more competent. You know, it's like if John Lithgow managed to fuck up his life, even though Denzel is not making dumb mistakes left and right. If he had a really supportive wife, I that that might be one of my biggest problems with the movie. How they paint them as this really solid couple, and then she, you know, she's falling apart. She's crying in the shower when he's been missing yeah. for I don't know twenty four hours or whatever, and then they find him. And she almost scolds him in the hospital. <laughs> like, what the hell? What? It's just quite a story. Well, you don't believe me? Where the fuck you been? Give him the benefit of the doubt. 
<laughs> you have two children with him. <laughs> but then she's leaving him like handwritten notes two days later. You know, it's like one night she finds out that he he has an STD. And then the next morning, she's like, oh, just took the kids to the park. Love. It just doesn't make sense, you know. Uh, and I know you're going to say, and you're right, that she is such a peripheral character and so not important, really, in the big scheme of things. <laughs> so that's Pretty also much. me for, for focusing on that. But that's kind of, you know, those things annoy me. Uh, but you said that you you recognize some some issues too with it, like some some stuff that wouldn't fly today and probably shouldn't have flown back then. Uh, elaborate, please. Uh, before I do, I, I want to go back to the trashy thing and how that isn't necessarily a bad thing. And uh, an example I can think of is I I think we both do. We're big fans of Smoke and Aces, and that is a movie I would describe as trashy fun. But uh, I think Eddie called me dumb one time for liking that movie. So, <laughs> so you know, it, it ebbs and flows. And he can get away with it because he's our boy. But, that, you know, any of our patrons and stuff, that's kind of the, the thing we do. We think we're on the an established wavelength with one another. And then someone will say, like, well, I like this movie. And they'll be like, oh, well, you're an idiot. So that's uh, that's what we do. <laughs> Um, we didn't talk about it in Contrarian's Corner because it's not really something to make light of, but like the casual use of child pornography and like demonizing someone. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, since 1991, the rampant spread and accessibility of fucking deviants like that and the issue of child pornography has grown exponentially. And that's horrifying and sad. And a direct cause uh, is the, or a direct reason, I should say, is the internet. And like, just like I said, accessibility and whatnot. And it's just terrible, awful stuff. And in 1991, I don't know if anyone could really have mentally grasped how that was going to change over the next 30 years. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I can't immediately be like, oh, this movie makes light of it. And it's kind of uncomfortable to watch. That could just be um, a victim of circumstance and like watching it for the first time in 2023. Still, for the ridiculousness of the tone of the movie, using that is like, because it just goes away. You know, he gets accused of being a child molester and then, you know, it's just kind of done that it's it's pretty icky. You know, it's just treated too lightly. You know what I mean? It is just a buttoned push to quote one of the reviews. I don't remember if it was this part of Elvin Contreras Corner, but uh, yeah, I did feel, I mean, that, but but it's consistent with the way the movie is, right? They don't just, oh, yeah. they don't just kill the councilman. They don't just frame him with child pornography. They also, in the nineties, of course, it was adding insult to injury that they would dress him in drag before hanging him. You know, it's like, in you're, tw- right. In, you're right. In 2024, you know, at least for for most of society, <laughs> if you're not a Republican, like it, it's not the guy being dead in drag, like wouldn't add like an extra strike to his record or anything. You know, it's just like, oh, well, he's dead. But but in the ninety in ninety one, it's just such a it's such a transparent effort to really be as 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 out there as transgressive as possible, right? Oh, child pornography, and he's on drag, and then and the drugs. And now this, they're gonna hire this this woman, not just to have sex with him, but also to give him an STD, which is just it doesn't, it doesn't you know like the STD detail. 
like we laughed about it and and I think it's funny. And the dramatic use of the clap is what makes it funny. Right. But okay, so how much of that is intentional, how much of it isn't? You know, and I, yeah. I want to say that the movie has a pretty good sense of humor about itself. So I don't think that this is trying to be like a more serious thriller. And it just happens to be unintentionally funny because of the just how out there it is. But I also think that some of it just gets it just borders on, on, on cringe for me as far as some of the lines, some of the things that, that they say. The, that, the happenstantial use of Aryan Brotherhood and Nazi iconography is just kind of like, good God, man. Oh, there's that like, portrait it, of Hitler that just falls. It's like a fucking, the, it's like the Kramer like wax painting that this guy has in his <laughs> office or whatever. Um, but see, that stuff, like, I get I get why it's fun. Like, it's fun because I'm talking to you about it, you know? And it's fun to think of, oh, yeah. well, I'm going to tell my buddies about this outrageous thing in this movie. Um but watching it, I guess, as a collection of, of scenes that go from one to the other, I was at some point the, the outrageousness of, of, of it all just it's not even that it wore me out. It's just that it it stopped outraging me or it stopped surprising me. I was just like, oh, look, it's Steven DeSosa once again trying to trying to get a reaction out of me by <laughs> the same guy that a uh, couple of years later, for no explicable reason has the John Wayne Gacy painting of M. Bison in M. Bison's Lounge. It's just very strange obsession with uh, triggering iconography. And like I've said about other things, though, but specific to this, other than, you know, kind of my um, middle finger and thumb pinching, you know, the bridge of my nose and just kind of shaking my head and laughing to myself about what just flew for a regular movie back in the day. <laughs> the re- the reason I bring it up here is because we're you know we're analyzing it, being analytical of it. But you know, at no point did it really take me out of the movie. I was just like, "Good God, man!" The the shit that used to just eh, that's what we do in a movie. You know, kid, you know, kids can rent this at Blockbuster. It's uh, <laughs> different times, man. Different times. And then lastly, I have a few lines here quoted, and then I, I promise I'll throw it back to you, Julio. Uh, your favorite guy, Josh Evans. This is the one part in the movie that like completely, I was having so much fun for pretty much the whole time, even as much as I was laughing at the absurdity. This line completely removed me from the film for like five minutes trying to figure out why he said that. When they abduct Denzel, Josh Ep- oh, Kim yeah. is his uh, name, mm-hmm. says, I bet he shit his pants. I can't wait to look. I was just like, What? But that entire character, I mean, it's uh, useless. It's useless. It's I, I mean, I get that he's supposed to be funny. At least I hope that he's supposed to be funny. But uh, it didn't work for me at all. Like I, I didn't, I didn't understand. Like what? And, and that's my fault, right? For trying to understand, <laughs> like trying to make sense of some stuff in this movie. But I'm like, what's his deal? Okay, so it's it's just like the one note character. Like the one joke is that he, for some reason, idolizes uh, John Lithgow. And then, without any buildup or anything, he turns on him on the last scene. Oh, you know what? You're a shithead. God, that he's the performance is just bad. I, I didn't like that character at all. Like everybody else, I think it's actually doing pretty good. Some better than others. I think. I think Denzel, even though he he hams it up for me a little too much, but he seems to relish the the dialogue. You know, we can argue how how good the dialogue is or not, but. Uh, I think that he owns it. It's what makes Denzel's performance so enjoyable, as absurd as it is. You feel like he believes the insane things he's saying. Yes. Now, John Lithgow, 
I think that he's mostly really good, but there are some times where I I felt like he was like he didn't want to say the line, but he's like, ah, he I has too to. much dialogue. That's a big part of him in Blowout is he's a figure more than like a character, if that makes sense. Like he he has dialogue in Blowout. Don't get me wrong, but it's nowhere near to the extent of like the shit he says in here. You know what I mean? Like the most he talks in Blowout is at the end where he's tricking Nancy Allen and into you know giving him the tape and whatnot. For as good as an actor as he is, I think if I'm reading, if I'm understanding you correctly, I don't know he was built to deliver the one-liners, like yep. the bad guy one-liners. At least not the one-liners that they give him in this movie. When uh, after his gladiator match and uh, his buddy, uh, Josh Evans trying to like he's like oh you're bleeding and he says something like oh uh spare me the nurse nancy shit or something but it's just he says it his delivery is even worse than mine just now (laughs) (laughs) it's like i'll buy it the the line that i quoted earlier uh oh yeah i was flossing with your wife's pubic hair like you need a very specific type of actor with a very specific type of delivery to make that line work (laughs) Lithgow. The problem is too. He delivers it like John Lithgow would deliver that line. <laughs> yep. You know, you you set up long pause and then you know <laughs> say the follow up, but it's such a stupid line. Like I'm trying to think, of who's an actor that could do it? Like James Woods. Yeah, something like that. Uh, or just like, hope you flossed. I did with your wife's pubic hair. You know, and John Lithgow. <laughs> it's just so. <laughs> mm, I did. <laughs> With your wife's pubic hair. Perfect enunciation. Running up the the main cast, uh, Kevin Pollock. I like him. I think he's actually good in the movie as far as, you know, he's he's being Kevin Pollock. His mannerisms and facial expressions and the way he uses like his body language for his character are probably more impressive than his delivery of dialogue. Uh, yes. he. I mean, it's not like he has any big monologues. Uh, you know, he has a couple of good lines. I like when he's telling her when Denzel is missing and he's trying to calm her down, his wife, you know, Denzel's wife. And then he says that he went to check on his parents and all that stuff. Like that scene was, I thought that was fine. Like in complete contrast his dead scene. Okay, we're we're in real talk now, Alex. Like, didn't that take you out of the movie? Wasn't that just like a bit too much of that? It just turns into like a Mel Brooks skit at that point. Yeah, I could see that. It like I said, there was only one part that took me out of the movie. I was kind of along for the ride of everything else, but I I, I see what you're saying. He's just a uh, Paul Rubens in Buffy. It's like I thought that after all that like, he gets sprayed <laughs> with bullets. I thought that was it, and then. <laughs> John Lithgow exits the scene and somehow Kevin Pollock has the strength to like crawl over and deliver one of the stupidest lines, not just in this movie, but in like probably the entire year of 1991. And then and then dies like like Tali Al Ghul. It's like ugh. And closes his eyes. It's, it's terrible. It's it's bad. And I knew that he was gonna die. I figured that in a movie that was so bloody and so violent the best friend character wasn't going to make it to the end. Although I guess Ice-T makes it to the end. So it just goes to show <laughs> that's why he got fourth billing, Kevin Pollack. <laughs> exactly. That third billing has got to pay off in some aspect. <laughs> um, and yeah, we, we joked about like Ice-T is not, he's not Denzel and he ain't Daniel Day-Lewis in terms of acting. But I always, 
there's a certain level of ham and cheese that comes along with iced tea that I appreciate and I, I enjoy. And this is a great example of it. Um, and it, it, like I said, some of his delivery is pretty cold. I, I, I appreciate it. Uh, so of the main players involved, yeah, those top four dudes involved, I thought were all strong in their own way. And, uh, Josh Evans stunk, but you know, <laughs> what are you going to do? Uh, Lindsay Wagner plays, uh, is it the mayor? Whoever, you know, the top dog character in this movie. I thought I knew her from somewhere or that her name sounded familiar. So I looked her up and, uh, She's the bionic woman, and I'm not that old, Alex, so I don't know her from the bionic woman, but I know that there was a show called the bionic woman. So I was like, okay, I guess that's where I know her from. And I I thought she was fine. I mean, I think it's fun that, you know, that they they got her to play this character because I I think that mostly I'm assuming that she's mostly known for that. Maybe not. But according to her IMDb page, like that's her most popular thing that she's been in. And uh I like her character. I like that she seems to have a sense of humor about the whole thing until she can't, you know, by the time that things have escalated uh, so much, that it's impossible to do anything. But, you know, by the time that Denzel puts in a tape that shows him having sex with this other woman, just dude, yeah, <laughs> there's no point that, you know, she can't make light of it anymore. But I, I liked her. I liked that she, she seemed pretty savvy. I was actually kind of bummed that the ending is so rushed that we don't get to see how the more interesting characters handle it. Like, and, and that would be for me, like to see her reaction to it. Uh, the reaction of the, the, I guess it's a defense attorney because uh, Denzel was a prosecutor. So the other guy must've been the, the defense attorney. Uh, was it Kylie? Public defender Kylie. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Uh, you know, bring them back. They've been such a big part of the story. And then the third act kicks in and they're just like, we don't see that. We don't even see the reaction to anything, even if they were watching on the TV, <laughs> you know, the broadcast of Denzel about to kill himself, like, nothing, they're just gone. And I, I really liked the characters, uh, the, you know, the roles that they were playing, like her trying to be a good boss, trying to believe Denzel, but also being pretty matter of fact about how it looks. And then the other guy who's supposed to be on their team, but you know that he's rooting for Denzel to, to fail. So oh, like, yeah. that's cool. I like that dynamic. Yeah. Not, doesn't matter. It's gone. But after Kevin Pollock dies, it's it's it. We don't even see. Maybe it seems crazy to me that there's not a scene where they make that officially say, "Oh yeah, we think that he killed his partner." Right? Mm-hmm. They make such a big deal of Lithgow throwing the gun, then still picking it up like a dumbass, and then Lithgow has to tell him, "Hey, I just put your prints on that gun." You would think it would come back at some point. Right, but it doesn't. I guess like the TV starts saying something, and then the soul throws the TV down, breaks it, and that's it. We, it's just, I don't know if it's just that they they rush through all the stuff because well, it's an action movie, and you're in the third act, and you just have to get to the climax, and you know, pretty well, much. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But but it, does that mean that it was never there, or was it there and they just cut it out? I don't know. You know, because one is. One is bad storytelling. The other one is like, oh, well, we had to sacrifice stuff because of the way that, that things work. I don't know. I I have a lot of issues with the movie, as you can tell. But I also, it's not like I had a bad time watching it. it I hope not. Yeah. No. I mean, dude, because you asked me about Denzel. What was it like to see young Denzel after being so familiar with, with older man Denzel? <laughs> and it's fun. It's fun to see him just so uh, so playful. 
uh, like I said, I don't think that I think he goes a little too hammy for for me. Like on the second half, I I really don't like when he's playing high. Like I said, Gutierrez corner. I think that there's it just feels like that's where I felt the youth of him as an actor. <laughs> like oh, he's this a young guy playing these scenes very very loud when I think that a more experienced actor would know that this is more powerful and more interesting if you just tone it down a little. He just, I mean, he goes for it and bless him, but, <laughs> uh, but, but I like the energy and like, the, you know, Denzel always, he has that persona that is very, very confident, very cocky. And so uh, to see that at an early stage of his career, it's, it's a lot of fun. Hell, give me the Ricochet sequel now, 30 years later, Denzel playing the, the same guy. Ice-T will do it. Yeah, I was going to say, who else is left that's alive that you would bring back, you know, as a major player? Because sadly, Pollock and Lithgow are dead in the in the movie, so. Do do a prequel. They can do the Indiana Jones de-aging. God. <laughs> it's, it's a great way to get me not to watch it. <laughs> no, I don't got that. And I don't play that shit either. Uh, you, you brought up Buffy earlier. Rutger Hauer was considered for the role of Earl Talbot Blake. I mean, we've seen Rutger Hauer be be a bad guy and be a scary guy. Mm-hmm. Would he do better with the dialogue than Lithgow? It's possible. <laughs> I, I don't know I'd enjoy it as much, but I think it's possible he could definitely do better with the dialogue. Man, Denzel has a pretty, probably his best moment in the movie for me is when he the first time he clashes with Lithgow and he gives that whole speech uh, it's, it's a bit of a Tarantino rant where he's like then I have to file the paperwork and then I have to go get donuts and blah 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 yeah, yeah. that's yeah that's good shit yeah that's fun uh, before we get out of here I think we need to pay a little respect to our director our auteur being Russell Mulcahy I, I believe I've been pronouncing that correctly if I have not feel free to call me out Russell and let me know what's up but, uh, I mean, no use beating around the bush about it. Highlander, that's what his big, that's what he hung his hat on coming into this. He directed Highlander and Highlander 2. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen Highlander 2, but, you know, not in its day, but the Highlander has certainly become regarded as like a tent pole like a, a staple a pillar whatever terminology or cliched phrase you want to use of the fantasy genre um like yeah it, it didn't even make its budget back in its box office run but it's certainly now greatly appreciated yeah i mean they, they had a tv show and then they did a crossover the tv show and the characters from the movies i mean it's just i've always i didn't know that it was originally had bombed i always thought that it was a franchise that just came out from the start came out swinging well uh so the original one had a 20 million dollar budget did about looks like less than 15 and then highlander 2 had a 34 million dollar budget and then the u.s only made 15 so i think they're an interesting um revisionist not even revisionist i think it just took you know, that's honestly the case with some movies. They just need to find the right audience and they don't find it the first time out. Um, after Ricochet directed Blue Ice with um, 
Michael Caine and Sean Young. And then what? We got a couple bouncing around points. The Real McCoy, The Shadow, uh, 1999, directed something called Resurrection, which I'm not familiar with. The Shadow, the Alec Baldwin movie? Yes. Huh. He directed one of the Resident Evil films, Resident Evil Extinction. I thought those were all Paul W.S. Anderson, but I guess not. I learned something new today. (laughs) (laughs) He uh, directed the direct-to-video Scorpion King sequel, The Scorpion King 2 Rise of a Warrior, starring, you guessed it, Randy Couture. (laughs) So, an interesting career for... One Mr. Mulcahy, but a clear eye for this type of fun, as I call it. He also, if you're interested, has a very extensive uh, videography of music videos. ACDC, Human League, Paul McCartney. He directed Wonderful Christmas Time, the music video for Paul McCartney. (laughs) Many Elton John videos. Uh, Let's see. Duran Duran. Directed Rio and Hungry Like the Wolf, so like some big hitters. I really hope the aesthetic of uh, Wonderful Christmas Time is similar to the aesthetic of Ricochet. Paul McCartney, or like half naked. He accidentally pushes, yeah, and pushes Santa off the roof and he falls on a big spike and gets impaled <laughs> at the end. <laughs> and Paul McCartney is just high the entire time. Why not, man? So, well, Julio. Much like this movie, all good things must come to an end. I had an absolute blast, and there are so many movies of the 90s like this, and like I mentioned, the late 80s also. And there are, I mean, every decade is riddled with its charm of, you know, what was in vogue. But for, you know, my, where my knowledge is deepest and the actors I'm most familiar with, the the late 80s, early 90s, and to a much lesser extent, the early 2000s are riddled with these hidden, I don't want to call them gems, but articles that are like, what the fuck? And this is a great example of that. And a movie that I probably would have never come across had it not been for Eddie saying, yo, this is what I want. So I am grateful for that. I had a fucking blast. I'm going to go with a B+. Uh, This discussion has not made me back down on any of my feelings, so I'm sorry that you failed at your mission of doing so. Uh, (laughs) That was not my mission. (laughs) I know. I'm just fucking with you. There there are, and I called each and every one of them out. There are things in this movie that are silly, too much so even for the tone or kind of like, come on, brother. But uh, a, a great time at the movies for, you know, people like myself who enjoy the ridiculous shit that is filled with. A-listers, because that novelty never really wears off for me. So I'll go with a B plus. Probably land somewhere between four and three and a half stars in my letterbox review when I log this. Julio, what about yourself? Are you at least will this be in the three territory? Will this be above two and a half? Or are you you gonna go dead center? <laughs> oh man. See, I was feeling pretty good about my performance in real talk, and now you're making me feel bad because now this is two stars, man. For me. Oh boo. <laughs> it's look it's not a good movie in the sense of it's not a movie that that works but that's fine i mean you can have a bad movie that's a lot of fun and then that makes it a good movie but that's that wasn't the case for me i just like i said halfway through it just drops off it 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 starts doing really dumb shit and that's what 
keeps me away from the movie. I can, I can laugh at it, but you know, it's a lot more fun if you're laughing with it. And so I was not laughing with it. I was just rolling my eyes and just wishing that everybody was smarter. So I'm glad it, I'm glad that it, it would have been really weird if you hadn't liked it. And I would have been like, all right, what, where did it lose you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, my mission was never to convince you that this was not worth your time. My mission was just to hopefully be able to explain why I didn't like it, even though I, I understand what it's, what it's doing. Uh, it's just, you know, Steven, this was a made a movie that I just don't really, uh, I didn't really go for. He's written movies that I definitely liked, and he's even directed one that I I think, man, this might be the statement that does me in, but I think I like Street Fighter more than this. And that's not a good movie. <laughs> I can't argue with that, because like I've talked about, I, I have such a strong attachment to that movie and think it's so much fun, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's that's a tough discussion yeah <laughs> I, I i wasn't ready for that so i'm just gonna put a pin in that one i i wasn't it just came out and i was like oh god what did i just do <laughs> <laughs> what have i become <laughs> um yeah two stars eddie look don't take it too too badly because uh alex is on your side and apparently most of the run tomatoes quotes are also so that's it ricochet starting 2024 with a a divided take from the contrarians. That's great. Yeah, Julio, 2024 is off to a good start for me. I'm curious if we can keep that rolling. What's on deck? Uh, that statement makes me think that you, once again, have not checked the spreadsheet, Alex, because coming up next is the Neon Demon, not just demanded by, uh, by Patron Ryan, but also Ryan said, and I would like to be in it with Bartek. And I thought, well, it's been a while. It's been, I want to say, a whole year, right? Like, we haven't had them since uh, Nothing But Trouble. Terminal Velocity. Oh, yeah, that was their show. That was their right. show. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was their show. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Welcome back, Ryan and Bartek. And, of course, this is... Dude, well, what the fuck? Why, why <laughs> do we get the shit movies and their show gets, like, the fun... <laughs> like... Terminal Velocity was a movie just like this, and I was like, I don't care how dumb this is. This rules. And now, gotta watch the fucking Neon Demon after. Oh, <laughs> uh, fucking. What? I already forgot the name of it. <laughs> Nothing but trouble. <laughs> uh, who knows, Alex? This might be something that maybe it'll change your mind. It's been a while. I, I know that it's been a long, long time since I watched the Neon Demon. And so I'm going into it open minded. Uh, we've been pretty vocal about our opinions <laughs> regarding uh, not just the Neon Demon, but overall uh, Nicholas Wynn and reference filmography on this show. So is this is this a troll move from Ryan or does he really want to argue about the merits of the Neon Demon? We'll find out next episode. I will say it'll be interesting to see if I despise it as much as I do Only God Forgives. Because my experience with watching Neon Demon, uh, I'll explain in the episode, is fairly unique and possibly affected my judgment of the movie. Well, there you go. And I really, really think Only God Forgives sucks. And so I'm curious how this will end up. So just got to embrace life. It's a new year, (laughs) new me. 
Just got to embrace the challenges that'll come my way. <laughs> All right. So that's that's coming up next. Nicholas Winning Refn makes his triumphant entrance into Contrarian's canon after being referenced and name dropped almost every other episode. So that's what you have to look forward to. Now, let's get out of here, Alex. Let's do. Welcome to our end credits. Or as we usually call them, our perennial plugs. We start off by giving thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand and take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rutgeeser is the man behind our logo and all the art you see related to our show. Reach out to him and let him know how much you like that little tomato. His email address is mildemonios at hotmail.com and his website is mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. You can also check out his podcast, Nación Combi, about Peruvian current affairs and Marginal, about economy. Hans, thank you for all your support. For those interested in the regularly absurd world of professional wrestling, Joe and the boys over at LateNightGrin.com have you covered. Tell them the contrarians sent you. And we'd like to close with special thanks to our social media team of Zoe Perez and Coriari. Each of the social media accounts we mentioned in the introduction look as good as they do because of their work. So that'll do it for this episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. How much money you make to get a room, you know.